Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adurin Talk Sports. I'm your host, Andrew himself, and it is time, finally, as usual, I end up skipping the week, but that's kind of how it rolls here, but it is time to go through the NFL team by team. We're finally back on that sort of schedule where we go through each team, their previous history, what's happened so far. Let's do a little bit of an update as we transition from week two to week three. Without further ado, let's get started. Rather than go through game by game, I've watched a lot of the the games that have been there, and if I haven't been able to watch the full game, I watch at least the condensed version, so I've seen everything that's happened, and am very intrigued by a number of different teams, uh, either good in a good way or in a bad way. We're just going to go down team by team and give a brief sort of understanding of how each team is operating. So, let's just start off. I'm going officially by the, I believe this would be the current standings in each of the divisions. Let's start off with the AFC East. Technically speaking, at least according to searching up on NFL standings, searching NFL standings on Google, uh, technically speaking, the top team in the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins. So I think at least early on right now, I think it's working. Now, it may not be necessarily a bold thing to suggest that the Miami strategy is working. I mean, you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, two of the faster receivers in the game. Tyreek Hill probably the fastest in the game right now. And then as long as Tua can deliver the ball properly, then it's able to work uh, amazingly. But we've had a couple of different games that they've played. The Dolphins have played the Patriots in week one, and then last week played the Ravens. And you saw two different types of games. In one of them, it was a more standard game, I guess you could say, where they try to control the game from their own aspects and was successful in doing so, eventually able to beat the Patriots. The matchup against the Ravens was different because for the first three quarters, I would say, maybe two and a half or so, two and a half to three quarters, Miami looked off. Everything felt not great. The Ravens were just steamrolling them offensively. Lamar Jackson, uh, this is where I think official NFL people would randomly plug in uh, rewards that they projected, you know, so Lamar Jackson, my MVP candidate, was going through the Dolphins, uh, like a sieve, just going right through, highlighted, of course, by his 75-yard touchdown run, which all but confirmed, oh, the Ravens are winning this game, and, and, and then they, and then they didn't, uh, because Tua decided to turn into modern-day Dan Marino, and just sling the rock to the deep receivers, whether it's Waddle, whether it's Hill, just completely eviscerating the Ravens' defense, so far at least. And I think the biggest thing that I try to not do is overreact. I've seen, and I think all of us have, as long as you've been a fan of the NFL, even for one season, uh, we've seen a number of examples where the first couple of weeks don't represent the entire season. Case in point, and I, I hate to bring this up because I, I never like, you know, complaining or what's the right way to say this? I never like... Uh, hitting people when they're down, I guess, is the best way to describe this. But take a look last year, the Carolina Panthers started off the year 3-0. and We thought, ah, finally, Sam Darnold has found his team on the Carolina Panthers. It's time for the Sam Darnold experience to begin. And then it doesn't continue that same way. So a lot of examples of that. And the Dolphins, just like every other team that's undefeated right now, might be one of those teams. However, if at the same time, we also have to take into account the factual information and the things that have happened so far and so far the offensive scheme that Mike McDaniel is running is working very well it's working beautifully for Tua who when Tyree Kell is saying is the most accurate quarterback in the game you start to believe it at a certain point uh, especially with how much this offense has been exploding 
Let's shift over now to the team that many people are suggesting winning the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills. If you're looking for the team that has been the most dominant in the NFL, it's probably the Bills. First week, they play against the Rams and beat them in their in beat the Rams in LA. The Super coming off the Super Bowl victory, they're having their big parade and everything, and the Bills beat them. Now that game, I feel like uh, while the Bills had control of the game, it wasn't a complete devastation in the way that the previous game was against the Tennessee Titans. Like, there were a number of mistakes, and part of it was just kind of, I assume, at least part of it was just, it's week one, we're trying to get to the groove of things, Josh Allen was throwing interceptions occasionally, you know, things like that. Uh, None of that stuff really happened in the week two game, because they just, after a quarter-ish, a quarter and a half to two quarters of the Titans being close, I think at halftime, the Bills had a small lead, and then the second half, they decided, oh, wait a minute, why don't we just throw the ball to Stephon Diggs and just see what happens. And then three touchdowns later, they were like, yeah, this is a good strategy. Let's try to do this going forward. So the Bills have clearly been dominant, whether it's offensively, you've got all the skill positions and the the weapons that Josh Allen can throw to at his leisure, or defensively with the addition of Von Miller, and now all of a sudden that defense with the extra pressure is just making it that much more difficult for opposing quarterbacks to do much of anything. Uh, so Bills, for the people that have chose the Bills as their Super Bowl winners, uh, yeah, you, you could definitely see why. So far, at least the Bills have been living up to their hype. Next team on the list, according at least to this uh, the standings right now, and I always love looking at early season standings because they're definitely not going to be what it is at the end of the year, uh, or at least I don't, I presume not. Maybe the East does turn out this way. The third place team in the East as of right now, the New York Jets. First week, a rough game against the Ravens. Second week, a rough game against the Browns until... Somebody press the Joe Flacco playoff button and play and jo- play off Joe Flacco. Flacco. What am I saying? Play off Joe Flacco. All of a sudden, just shows up out of nowhere, leads the Jets on a comeback victory. I think it's a th- a thirteen point comeback. They were down by thirteen. Yeah, they were down by thirteen. I think, and then had about a minute forty didn't change to go, and then Joe Flacco says, "You know what? Wait a minute. Why don't I just tap into twenty twelve Joe Flacco and see what happens?" Kind of opens that box a little bit. Little bit of that, you know, little bit of that pixie dust, I suppose. Sprinkles on Joe Flacco, and presto, he's throwing bombs to Corey Davis, leading the the Jets for a quick touchdown score. They go for the onside kick, recover it, and then drive down the field again and score with a few seconds remaining. And the Jets defense able to put a stand by intercepting Jacoby Brissett's pick uh, pass uh, with a couple seconds remaining. The Jets get a win. The receipts are there. Salah has those receipts. And so far, at least the Jets have been, in my opinion, in this second game, able to prove that they can come back from a deficit. Now, it's not ideal if they had to go into that deficit in the first place. Ideally, of course, you want to beat every team by 30 points. But the Jets at least have shown in this past week, I'm not necessarily sure if they showed this this first week, but the second week, they've shown the, the effort that they've had to be able to really uh, go up against an opponent and not give up, I think. Uh, which we'll touch on that a little bit later, that certain teams have sort of kind of given up already. The New England Patriots are the final team of the AFC East at the fourth place spot in the AFC East with a 1-1 one one record. Uh, week 1 loss to the Dolphins was, was both expected and unexpected. I think I actually predicted the Patriots to win that game um, because uh, I don't go against Bill Belichick often, and at least week 1 it didn't work. But week 2, Patriots are able to come away with the victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's kind of an interesting thing i think uh you start to see the patriots are a weird team in september i've never seen in the history of me watching and remembering the football 
because I, you know, I was technically watching like the 2007, the 8, 9 season, but not really, you know, comprehending what's going on beyond just, hey, quarterback threw the ball. Um, but the Patriots, at least in the past few years, have never been a particularly fantastic September team. They usually end up going two and two, three and one, something like that, which is like good, but not like the domination that you expect for other teams. Um, think of the Rams over the past few years, who I think McVay, this year was the first year that he lost his opener. Uh, he's never been under 500 until after week one. So I think, you know, guys like McVay, Andy Reid's another guy that, especially in September and October, are really, really good at stacking up a lot of early wins. Patriots haven't really been that. They've kind of used September, and you'll hear this a lot, use September as a trial, as the preseason, to work out their kinks. And I think that's the same thing that's happening here. They're slowly starting to build into the system, getting more game time and opposing threats uh, to work out the system that Matt Patricia is trying to do offensively. You start to see sparks, I think. The big pass from Jones to Aguilar, for example, uh, was an example of that, just a, a perfect opportunity there Aguilar able to make the catch and waltz into for the touchdown uh things like that are starting to show signs of this the Patriots are one of those teams that I'm kind of putting on hold and looking back maybe this time next month and just to see okay are they actually what they think they are are they have they figured it out or have they not figured it out or are they still in the process of figuring it out so the Patriots are kind of a weird team in that regard let's go over to the AFC West the Kansas City Chiefs uh, I have been higher on the Chiefs than most, maybe. I actually don't know about this. Uh, I have the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, uh, losing to my eventual Super Bowl representative Ravens. And the Chiefs, I think, have kind of shown that they're still fine. They beat up on the Cardinals in Week 1, and in this week, in a close game against the Chargers, show that they're able to clutch it out. A lot of conversation, I'm already hearing the conversation about Spagnuolo and the defense. And every year, I think it's the same thing, where the first half of the season, the defense isn't all that, and people are like, oh, there, here we go. Mahomes going to have to score 40 points a game in order to win. And then by the end of the season, Spagnuolo's got the defense back up and at it, and they're doing their normal thing, and the Chiefs end up making a deep playoff run. This has happened, I think, every year Spagnuolo has been the defensive coordinator, and I presume it's going to happen this year as well. So conversation about the defense and the iffiness of about the defense, I, I don't think that's going to last the entire season. I don't think that's going to be a long-term concern for the Chiefs, uh, who have so far started off kind of on the same path that they've been this entire time of, hey, y'all remember, I'm still the king of the AFC West. One of those upstart teams, though, that they just uh, beat was the LA Chargers. Chargers are intriguing. Uh, I, I think where I have been higher on teams like the Ravens and the Chiefs than most, the Chargers I have not been as high on. Not necessarily because of anything that the Chargers have done. I just think I haven't seen enough of them. And I try to watch every game, like I mentioned, uh, but some just because of time, some games turn into the condensed version. And while it still shows all the plays and all the activity and everything like that, uh, I don't get the, quite the, the, the feel that I do for other teams. Um, so maybe it's that that I'm just low on the Chargers compared to everybody else. But uh, regardless of that, they still have a lot of talent. Uh, the main thing, of course, as it is with the Chargers for the most part, is health. I think Keenan Allen has missed at least one of the two games. Um, and then, you know, if the offensive weapons aren't there and active for Herbert to be able to throw to, then it becomes that much more difficult to actually uh, go through and win against the opponents that they got. But the Chargers, of course, have as much of a shot in the AFC West as any other team, as we sort of uh, stated, I've stated this repeatedly. Uh, the AFC West and the AFC North, I think, are the divisions that I could see all the teams being first or last place, just because of how competitive each of the teams are. 
uh, unlike other divisions where there are sort of some headliner teams and some bottom feeder teams, whether they're because they're tanking or because they just don't have the talent, uh, the, this division is kind of one where anybody is up for grabs. And I think the Chargers absolutely have that ability to, you know, really uh, make it make it make its impact. I think, especially considering the early parts of some of the other teams in this division as well. So there's you know that in mind. And I think the the upcoming schedule, at least looking at what the Chargers have to go through over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it looks like, yeah, they've got the Jaguars and the Texans and the Browns, the Bronco. Yeah, I think there's a couple of opportunities for victories, at least in the next few weeks. One of the teams that I just mentioned, the Denver Broncos have underachieved. So here's the weird thing. I thought the Broncos were going to be one of those really good fourth-place teams. Uh, if I remember correctly, I had the division going Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos. I think that's how I thought it would go. Um, and the Broncos have sort of lived up to my expectation of being a somewhat competitive last place team. It's weird because you could chalk up the first game loss to just being you're in Seattle and Seattle's like fighting for Seattle. And then this past week, you could chalk that up to maybe the Texans are just better than we think. There's a lot of question marks around the Broncos and how they are going to be... The Broncos are like a, like the Patriots with me. I'm not sure if things are going to plan or not, and they'll be a team that I have to look back on in a couple of weeks and be like, okay, is this actually what's happening or not, right? So the Broncos, I think, because they've, they've kind of eked out both of their games. Uh, the first game, a close loss to Seattle, and then this game is a close win to the Texans, which aren't exactly the powerhouses of their respective conferences. So the Broncos are an interesting team to look at. Maybe it's just they need to gel better. Maybe it's the, the just the, the head coach needing time to get the system in place. Maybe it's Russell Wilson needing to get connections. Or maybe this isn't something that will work out long term. Kind of just up in the air, at least for the next couple of weeks. Final team, the Raiders. I've been relatively high on the Raiders. At the very least, I thought in the AFC West they'd end up in second place. Uh, and that's not been the case. The Raiders have had it rough, if I'll be honest, uh, over the past couple of weeks. Now, the first game of the season, sort of understandable, at least. Uh, at, at the at the very least, they, they lose to the divisional rival Chargers. So that's not, you know, ideal. Carr did not have a great game there. This past week, though, was rough. This past week was a come. This past week, speaking of, a lot of comeback victories. And the Cardinals over the Raiders was one of them because I thought somewhere, was it around the third quarter, I think? I thought that was all but over. Like the Raiders had this down pat, stamp it, lock it away, and then the Cardinals and Kyler Murray are able to come back and uh, win that game effectively. So now the Raiders are in an interesting position because the early part of their schedule is kind of rough, right? Next week is the Titans. That's two teams that are really fighting for not relevancy necessarily, but playoff relevancy. Because whoever's losing that game, I think, is going to end up having a weird, you know, a weird rest of the season. Follow that up with a divisional match against the Broncos, divisional match against the Chiefs, Texans. Saints, Jaguars to go over the rest of the next couple of months. So that's definitely, Raiders are in an interesting position uh, going forward, and they really have to, I think, tap into whatever emotional feeling that they had last year when they were able to make their mini run. Uh, they got to find that, basically, in order to continue going forward, because they're, they're two games back in the AFC West title, and that might be enough to basically lock them out of the top seed in the division and then from there the wild card chase afc's got so many teams that are ca capable of making the wild cards that the, the raiders don't want to be in a hole already 
We go over to the AFC North. Let's start off with the top team in the division as of this, technically. The Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers have been interesting. I think I'm going to say this about a lot of teams, but the Steelers particularly so. Uh, they have had a very interesting time over the past couple of weeks. I'm actually going to talk about this past week's matchup first against the Patriots. A very defensive effort in this past matchup uh, against the, the the Patriots, despite the the star power, I guess, that the Steelers technically have in Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris. Um, oh, I'm missing someone, and that's going to bother me tremendously. Uh, there's another wide receiver on the Steelers that I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but nevertheless, let me actually look this up because that's going to bother me. That Chase Claypool, that's who I forgot. I don't know why I forgot Claypool. Uh, Claypool is another wide receiver. Like, they've had the talent on this team, um, and Trubisky has been solid so far. Uh, I know that the the fans have already started their Where's Kenny Pickett chant. Uh, I don't know if you want to bring Kenny Pickett in now, <laughs> right? Like, uh, the Steelers have shown two things. One, their defense is still dominant, and that's kind of how they're going to win these games. You've noticed both of the scores. Their first matchup against the Bengals was a 23-20 game, and this past matchup was a 17-14 loss, so I fully expect similar sort of things going forward regardless of who the starting quarterback is. I highly doubt if Pickett gets in, he ends up having a 35-40 point game just because the problem is still going to be the same, and that's really this lack of protection for the quarterback for the Steelers. And I think that's going to be uh, something that they've got to work on going forward. The defense, though, is able to keep them in any game ever. And the upcoming schedule is interesting as well. They've got the Browns on Thursday Night Football, followed with the Jets, Bills could be tough, Bucks could be tough, and then Dolphins could be tough. So the next two games, I think, are interesting. If we don't see Trubisky... Or sorry, I was about to word that wrong. Uh, Thursday Night Football against the Browns, Trubisky's starting, probably. I 99% chance. Uh, if he is terrible, like terrible, terrible, then I could see Kenny Pickett starting against the Jets. If Trubisky starts that Jets game, I don't see, uh, I don't see Pickett coming in until the Saints game, maybe? Even then, maybe not. It depends on how certain teams go. I don't. I don't think he's coming in for the Bills. I don't think he's coming in for the Bucks because both of those teams have dominant defenses. The Dolphins are a question. I don't think they would, he would come in for the Dolphins because that would potentially turn into a see if you can shoot shoot out type of thing. The Eagles so far have been very good this year, and I don't think that'll be the case. So probably the Saints. Yeah, I think the Saints would probably be the next best bet. And then after that is the Bengals. I don't know if you want to throw him to start in a divisional matchup. Colts have been underachievers, and we'll talk about that in a bit. The latter half of their schedule is significantly easier than the first half. Uh, so that's where you start to think, okay, maybe Pickett could come in in the second half of the season and have Trubisky try to deal with the first half. Uh, but that's something interesting to look at going forward. Uh, at the very least, Steelers, defensive team, and I think they're really going to ride on that this year. The Ravens are uh, second place in the AFC North as of now. Uh, with a dominant win over the Jets and then a, a blown lead, is the best way to describe it, against the Miami Dolphins. I don't know yet, and this is me being very cautious about opinions, I don't know if that is the Ravens have a bad defense, or at least in that regard, like they blew the lead, or if Miami is just that good. And I think that's something that we're going to have to look at going forward, if only just to figure out like where the teams go from here. So the upcoming schedule... Kind of, we'll see whether or not the Ravens can really hang with the cream of the crop in the AFC. People like the Bills and the Chiefs, for example, I think are considered probably the two bigger candidates in the AFC. Uh, they end up going against, next week they go against the Patriots, and they follow that up with a matchup against the Bills. So the next two weeks will really start to bring a test of, okay, are these guys actually that good? And if they are, 
then it's interesting to look at. Then you can really start talking about the Ravens in that sort of higher echelon. The Browns are third place in the division, a one-and-one record with a uh, nearly blown lead to the Carolina Panthers and then an actually blown lead to the Jets. This is kind of what we expected, I think. For the most part, the idea was that the Browns had to kind of float above water until Deshaun Watson comes back. This is all, of course, assuming that Watson is able to regain that uh, prime Texans form. Um, if that's not the case, then that makes the Browns season uh, that much more complicated. But whatever is causing them to allow the deep touchdowns in the last few minutes of the game, uh, they got to fix that. There was th- That play in particular I found odd. Not necessarily because of the the blown coverage. I mean, it's a bad timing to have the blown coverage happen now. Uh, but it was one of those miscommunication things. I think the the I can't remember what players were on the field at the time. But uh, when Corey Davis uh, basically just runs a, a like a streak a go route on the the right sideline, uh, the corner thinks that the safety is going to help out, so he just lets him go. Safety doesn't help out as much, and Flacco just kind of wings it deep. Uh, that's not the issue that I had. The issue that I had was that. When he caught the ball, there was still 25 yards, 30 yards to go, and there were three defenders that were within maybe 5-ish, 10-ish yards. Uh, Corey Davis kind of just jogs into the end zone, and the Browns don't even attempt to catch up. Now, maybe I was just mis... Maybe because I'm terrible with these. Maybe I'm just misjudging the distance, and it's actually longer than I thought it was, so there was no point in actually chasing them down. But like that, that sort of... That bothers me for some reason. And uh, I'm concerned about the Browns, uh, especially if they keep having these sort of like long plays at the end of the game, because at least right now, the Browns are playing a very control the clock, run the ball, keep things downhill and ticking type of game, which is good to take control of the game and go at your own tempo. The downside of that, though, is that if the other team is able to gain momentum back, it's hard to switch it back. As you can see by the Browns here, uh, they had a 13 point lead with a minute 40 left, and then the momentum swings to the Jets' side, and they can't recover, especially defensively. I mean, offensively, they didn't really have much of a shot, but defensively, after that onside kick happens, everything up to that point is, good job, Jets. I'm glad to see you put in some effort. Let's go. You know, game over, but the Jets really put a scare. Ha ha ha. And then, but the Jets are able to methodically go down the field and just score their touchdown on their own and that's kind of worries me for the Browns going forward especially uh without Deshaun Watson there so uh something to look at going forward uh I don't know how good the Browns could be but that you know it's one of those things that's up in the air last place team in the AFC North the Cincinnati Bengals um so Joe Burrow's getting sacked a lot just like last year and it becomes a question of whether or not the protection is the problem. If Burrow, I assume that it's partially a bit of both. I think part of it is the protection isn't holding up. Uh, now, they have gone against some pretty good sacking teams in the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys, both of which have at least one player on their team that is considered a sack king, like a guy that can get you a sack if you need it. TJ Watt, Mike Parsons. So... That might be just the thing. Maybe the Bengals just had the worst two teams to go up against in the early parts of the season. Two guys that are in the conversation yearly, I think going forward, especially for Micah Parsons, yearly going to be in the conversations for Defensive Player of the Year in the early parts of the season. So maybe it's just that. Or 
the protection isn't great. I think this upcoming game against the Jets is important. Not necessarily because it's the you know the Jets are a, a powerhouse or anything like that, but that's going to be a real test to see if this offensive line or Joe Burrow maybe he's just holding on to the ball too long. Whatever the issue is, uh, this is going to be the game where you kind of get a test. Okay, what exactly is the issue? If the Bengals, uh, uh, sorry, if the Bengals are able to hold up against the Jets, you know, not allow more than one or two sacks, then at that point. Uh, it be- okay, it becomes one of those like, oh, okay, maybe it was just they played the wrong two teams early in the season, causing a bit of a scare. That's kind of what I'm, for the Bengals' sake, that's kind of what I'm hoping it is. It's just, hey, we played some bad teams uh, defensively. Uh, they're already, you know, with two games lost, uh, at least one of them is to the uh, the Dallas Cowboys, which if you have to lose any game uh, as an AFC North opponent, the game you're you're most willing to lose, I suppose, is one against the opposite conference. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to tiebreakers, that's like one of the last ones. Uh, you have to like record and divisional matchups and all that sort of stuff. On the other hand, their loss to the Steelers isn't exactly great. So uh, going forward, they got to A, make sure they win that ma- rematch against the Steelers, whenever that is, and B, sort of make sure that the offensive line isn't as bad as the stats say they are, which we'll see what happens there. Our final division in the AFC, the AFC South, has four teams, all of which I'm just extremely confused by for one reason or another. Let's start off with the top team of the AFC South as of now, the only team in the division with a win, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's right, the Jaguars. Coming into the season, would anyone have expected this sort of solution? Not really. If you had argued that the South was the worst division in the in the league, especially when it comes to how they're putting an impact on every other division, yeah, I could sort of see that. But when they go up against each other, you think you'd come out with a win? Turns out that's not the case. Jacksonville, in this past game, was uh, very good. This was probably Trevor Lawrence's best NFL game with a complete shutdown of the Indianapolis Colts. Their first week was pretty good as well, going up against the Commanders. You saw a lot of the flashes there, and I think it just got away from them at a certain point. The Commanders were able to eventually win that. Jacksonville able to calm down a bit more here and take an easy, calm, cool, and collected victory against a divisional rival, which is important in the standings, as I mentioned previously, and also just important for the Jaguars to start moving on, I think, away from last season and the debacle that it was. Doug Peterson is building his system. Trevor Lawrence seems to trust him. The team seems to trust the coach. And everything is kind of working as expected. I don't think anyone thought the Jaguars were going to be this 13-win team coming into the season. But they wanted to see some sort of improvement, and they wanted to see Trevor Lawrence progress. So far, at least, I think he has. And so, going forward, I think the Jaguars are feeling confident to make a a loud noise. If they end up making the playoffs as well, that's a nice little bonus. But I think the biggest thing right now is sort of just making sure that things are going to plan. And even with the loss to the Commanders, things are going to plan for the most part for the Jaguars. The second place team is the Houston Texans, which I find funny because uh, it's weird. This isn't exactly wrong, necessarily. Uh, But going through, I think, NFL.com's power rankings, they have the Texans as the last team, the 32nd ranked team. And I just find it funny that the team ranked second in the division is 32nd. But with the talent on the team, the expectations, I'm not surprised. Uh, The Texans have been interesting. They go for the tie week one, which, while it doesn't sound great, might be (laughs) what gives them hope going forward. Um, Basically, that's the argument for the Colts right now. Uh, That's a week one. And the week two, defensively, they do a solid, not solid, a much better than solid job uh, against the Denver Broncos, but offensively weren't able to, you know, compete in the same level. Lovey Smith is kind of doing his job. 
in the sense that he's a defensive-minded head coach, if I'm not mistaken, and his goal is to make sure that they win the game. If they win with defense, that's preferred. I guess it's generally the case. Offensive head coach, you want to win your game with offense. Defensive head coach, you want to win your game with the defense. I'm really generalizing here, but let's assume that's the case. So far, the defense has been pretty solid, I think, especially when it comes to giving up points. They haven't been too bad, for the most part, uh, tying with the Colts and then barely losing to the Broncos. Offensively, it's been rough. And that's something that has to be looked at going forward, whether or not, because this year is kind of a, a check on if Mills can be the starting quarterback going forward. And as last year, just like last year, it's sort of up in the air. It's one of those like, hmm, I guess, I guess he could be, you know, one of those type of things right now. And going forward, that's going to be the big test for the Texans, seeing if Mills is able to build off of last year's intriguing rookie season. The Colts are probably considered the most disappointing team in the NFL with their 0-1-1 record, tying with the uh, the Texans and then losing to the Jaguars. Both of these are division matchups. Both of these are rough. And so far, it's been weirdly the same as last year, I think. Uh, not necessarily in terms of record, but just how the Colts have started off. Because I remember last year, in the beginning of the season, the Colts were awful. You know, the Carson Wentz was throwing interceptions at the goal line and throwing with his left hand or something like that. Um, and he had, I, I remember this as well. Uh, he had two ankle, I think both of his ankles were injured on the same play or something like he was playing out there with two broken ankles or something absurd like that. I can't remember the exact details, but um, the Colts were rough then. They're rough now. Ryan uh, has struggled. The offensive line has struggled. The team has struggled. Is this going to be like the Patriots, where they struggle early on in the year, everybody thinks it's over, and then they rack off six or seven wins in a row in the middle of the season, and all of a sudden everything is fine? Or is this a real, like, mm, we gotta got to look at the Colts here? Uh, so and like the Patriots, I'm going to put them in that little box that's like, check back in three weeks and figure out what to do from there. Final team in the AFC, and the final team in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans. Um, I think it's safe to say that they are not in the class of the Bills. Uh has evidenced by week two their loss to the giants in week one is kind of a coin flip they weren't great first off let's right off the bat they weren't great but despite that relatively poor performance one field goal kick the opposite way and there you go the giants or not the giants sorry the titans are uh one and one and i think they would be second in the division i think divisional matchup would still take over there but still they go from fourth to second in the division and now all of a sudden things are a lot calmer cooler collected in titans nation because uh, they're no longer as worried about you know finding their first victory somewhere um the titans are interesting to look at especially considering their upcoming schedule again like mentioned previously they go up against the raiders and i think whoever loses that is really going to start their mm, do we do we do we change something up here do we do we change around a couple of players or teams or stuff like that you know something like that going forward following that is then the uh colts commanders colts again and texans so they've got a lot of divisional matchups coming up three of their next four games are division matchups and this is really where the titans can kind of rebound because if they can win two or three of those division matchups and come out of this little uh this little weird situation at the end of october uh right now they're zero and two if they come out of this uh with a, a th uh, let's see five games remaining if they come out of this with a three and four record i'm not as concerned anymore especially with a few of those wins being division records if they can go three and four four and three then they sort of like rebound back from their struggles early on especially if those wins can come up against the divisional matchups uh that sort of will reestablish the boat if that means anything 
Let's go over to the NFC now. Let's start off with the NFC East. We talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, my NFC representative pick, as I like to, as I, um, this is my goal to, you know, be the closest that I can to any of the ESPN, NFL network type of pundits where we regularly comment about how good our picks are looking. Hey, about the Eagles, am I right? Uh, the Eagles have been very good. Uh, first week of the season, offensively fantastic, defensively really good until the Lions did their Lions thing and almost came back. Uh, and then they decided this week, no, let's just completely shut down the Vikings, who themselves had a really good victory against the Packers. We'll talk about that in a bit. The Eagles have absolutely looked like one of the best teams in the NFC. Not necessarily bold, considering the NFC isn't exactly the the, the big conference, at least this year. Uh, but the Eagles have absolutely been like, hey, you know, we're here. We can do some damage. Jalen Hurts has, so far at least, improved upon last year's season. Um, he's been more effective passing. He's able to pass better. Defensively, the team has been very good. And uh, Hurts' rushing uh, ability has not waned, as nobody expected it to. Uh, he's been just as effective, if not more effective, on the running game. I think he's got three rushing touchdowns in the two games so far, along with one passing touchdown. Um, only one interception, and that one was kind of a tipped weird ball on a screen pass uh, that ends up going on his stats. I don't know if that necessarily would count if we were doing one of those, like, is it his fault or not type things. But right now, so far, he's definitely continuing the Eagles' growth and everything. Uh, the team itself has been very effective. Shout out Darius Slay, James Bradbury. That corner combo is the best in the NFL right now, if I'm not mistaken, at least according to like PFF gradings. So Eagles absolutely working their working their butts off. Um, and the upcoming schedule for the Eagles is very, very easy, at least theoretically speaking. They go up against this upcoming week against Commanders, Jaguars, Cardinals, Cowboys, Steelers. Texans, Commanders, I'm just going through at this point. Uh, I was trying to find the first tough game, and I think that might be... Uh, it depends on how the Cardinals are, if they're more like their Week 2 counterparts, and that might be a tough game, and it depends on Dak comes back. Otherwise, the first tough, tough game might be end of November against the Packers. <laughs> like The Eagles schedule um, doesn't have a lot of big roadblocks, and they might be able to use that to try to get a high seed for this upcoming um, for this upcoming year. Let's go over to the second team in the NFC East with an undefeated record, the New York Giants. They have improved. They've done it a lot. I think offensively, they've definitely improved. I personally, as you may know, because I mentioned this repeatedly, uh, I do believe Daniel Jones can be a franchise quarterback. I think, like the Giants owners uh, Mara suggested, uh, they have not done much to help him out. And now that they have at least added some talent, added some ability, uh, they're starting to re you're starting to really see Jones uh at least play better. I don't know if he's been, a, you know, a, a Pro Bowl guy yet, but he's definitely improving, and I think the Dayball system, the shift, has been very, very impactful for him. Uh, at least week one, Saquon Barkley was running over folks, so that's a good sign as well, that he's healthy and active and working hard. And so the Giants themselves have so far been a surprise team. This is where I go back to discussions I mentioned earlier about the Miami Dolphins. I feel more like this applies to the Giants. Is this early start indicative of the actual change that has happened or just a lucky start like the Panthers last year? We'll find out what that is going forward. But the Giants have been intriguing uh, watching them uh, get a couple of close wins against the Titans and the Panthers. We go over to the Commanders now. Carson Wentz has been slinging the rock literally and figuratively. I think he leads the league in passing yards uh, and passing touchdowns maybe. 
uh, or maybe the conference or something. something. He's, he's high up there on the stats. And while, yes, he is a bit of a gunslinger and throws a couple of picks, uh, I've always liked Carson Wentz, and I continue to right now. I think he is the closest thing to a modern-day Brett Favre that the league will allow, because I don't think any league, I don't think anybody in the league will like uh, Brett Favre that throws, you know, 35 touchdowns and 20 interceptions or something like that. Uh, but I think the Commanders have done a really good job of being competitive in both of their games. That's important. They were able to come back after they dominated the first half against the Jaguars. Uh, Wentz throws a couple of bad picks and then comes back from that, which. Frankly speaking, that's what Wentz does, and we kind of just accept it. And as long as he can continue to do that, I don't think anyone's really going to complain if they end up with, you know, 10 wins where eight of them turned out like that. Um, and then the matchup against the Lions, uh, the Lions have been, I think, pretty safely assumed to be better than expected. And that's just a perfect example of that against the Commanders. Um, a perfect chess match of competitiveness where the Lions, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Lions dominated the first half. The Commanders dominate most of the second half, and the Lions kind of just plug the hole in the last couple of, in the last half of the fourth quarter or so. So, Commanders are an interesting team to look at. I think offensively, they've been great. Chase Young, when he comes back, will add on to the defense and make the Commanders a bigger threat. Then we go to the final team in the NFC East, the Dallas Cowboys, with Dak Prescott out for the first couple of weeks of the season. It's Cooper Rush coming in, who had a pretty solid game against the Bengals didn't do anything too crazy made sure that things stayed focused calm cool and collected uh his connection with Noah Brown in particular has been really impactful for the Cowboys and they come away with a win they're now one and one which frankly uh that's the goal of Cooper Rush right now just as many wins as you can get early on while Dak is out collect them so that Dak can come back fully healthy as opposed to being rushed out there um defensively Micah Parsons is still uh, incredible. I think in his first 18 games, he has 17 sacks or some absurdly ridiculous stat like that, that, uh, just goes to show how impactful he is. And that extra pressure adds on to the Dallas defense. Cause then it makes passes that much more easy to disrupt or intercept or cause turnovers in general. So Cowboys, if they can hold on this early part of the season, their hopes are not dashed. Um, but we'll see how that goes going forward because uh, I think the Cowboys are going to have an interesting time over the next few weeks. Go up against the Giants on Monday Night Football, which is a divisional matchup uh, that always turns into chaos, especially the Cowboys-Giants. Follow that up with a matchup against the Commanders and then the Rams. Uh, by this point, Dak might or might not be back. If not, then the Eagles matchup is next, and then he'll definitely be back, I think, by either the Lions or the Bears on the 23rd or the 30th of October. So by that point, Dax back, he's got a couple of quote-unquote easier opponents to deal with and being able to get back into the groove of things when he has to face the tougher teams like the Packers, more matchups against the the uh, the Giants, and a couple of other interesting matchups as well. We've done the East. Let's go to the West. The leaders in the NFC West are these, technically speaking, every team here has a one-on-one record, but there's some tiebreaker somewhere that probably sorts it out this way. Let's start off with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, uh, first off, uh, I hope Trey Lance is recovering completely from his injury. A nasty ankle injury uh, cuts his sh- season short, and we're back to the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. And it's weird because I think th- what Kyle Shanahan is going through right now is he's thinking, would I rather, and I'm, I'm being overly generous for the 49ers, but this is theoretically what he's thinking. He's, he's sort of thinking, with Garoppolo, would I rather win one championship in the next four three, four years, I think, is probably what he's thinking. Would I rather win one championship in four years or three championships in 10 years? Which is the idea that he has with Trey Lance. Like, with Trey Lance, you have a franchise quarterback that you're sticking with for the long term and will get you a lot of wins. With Garoppolo, you have a guy who is 
uh, very good at his job, able to play the system perfectly, and might get you a championship or two in the shorter time frame. Because that's, I think, part of the issue is the age discrepancy, where theoretically, if you have both of them until, I don't know, 40, then you have less time with Garoppolo than you do with Trey Lance, and so that decreases your window of opportunity, and so they just try to get younger with a guy that is able to fit the system better, I guess is the best way to describe it with Trey Lance. Um, And then keeping Garoppolo as the backup just helps in case Trey Lance got injured or wasn't able to do, you know, perform in the way that he was supposed to, uh, because even if they quote-unquote lose this year, then they still have the rest of Trey Lance's career. At least this is all being optimistic of what Shanahan is probably thinking. Uh, With Trey Lance out now, you turn back into the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, and that's not that big of a problem because if Garoppolo was the guy you were starting with anyway, then you're on the right track of winning your theoretical one championship in four years. So you might as well have that opportunity while you can. Let Garoppolo be able to... uh, build up his own value so that when he goes on the free agency market, he's able to collect a big sum. And then you turn back to Trey Lance, uh, who is again, that guy that in the next 10 years, you get three championships. That's at least the theory behind the Trey Lance idea. And so I think the 49ers are uh, still fine. I think they're still a threat in the NFC. I think they revert back to the threat that they were last year, which might be better this year, if not necessarily long-term, which is where I think the 49ers are trying to play. They're trying to play it long-term while still keeping their short-term option available. And now that the short-term option has become the immediate option, they've kind of shifted back there. I hope that made sense. I'm not sure. Second team in the NFC West, the LA Rams uh, haven't been as great as expected. First week of the season was a rough game against the Bills, though maybe the Bills are just that good, so you can kind of just, you know, set that aside. Uh, this week, though, a near 28-3 comeback, not by the Rams against the Falcons, but by the Falcons against the Rams, uh, until a final interception by Mark- from Marcus Mariota to uh, Jalen Ramsey uh, finally secured the win for the LA Rams. Uh, early parts of the season have been rough. The Rams are normally a team that are able to collect wins early on to kind of stockpile for the, quote, the up and down sort of thing that occur in October, November, December with injuries and all that stuff. With a one-on-one start early on, it's interesting to look at and see how they'll proceed over the next few games. They've got divisional matchups against the Cardinals and 49ers in the next couple of weeks, which are both going to be interesting matchups. If they can come out of both of these games with wins, theoretically, I think they would be favored in both of these matchups. So if they come out of both of these with a win, then they've just got a 3-1 and record, and we sort of shift away from the early rough start to a more secure NFC West title that the Rams are going for. If they don't come out of both of these with the win, especially against the 49ers, then questions start to rise. Because then it becomes, okay, not only do you not win the division, but there's an outside shot you might not even make the playoffs, which would be devastating for the Rams coming off a Super Bowl victory. Cardinals are the third place team in the West for about seven quarters. They looked terrible. They were hopeless against the Chiefs, even though they scored a lot of points. And then the Raiders matchup, for the most part, they were, you know, struggling. And then able to make the comeback, now the Cardinals have a little bit of life. Can they carry this over to the next week? Next week, as mentioned, they go up against the Rams, then they follow that up with matchups against the Panthers, Eagles, and Seahawks. If they can get the win against the Rams, that's great. In that next three-game stretch, they gotta win at least two of them in order to stay alive in this sort of, in this heavily competitive division. And then from there, being able to leverage that into a wild card or division title is important. Final team of the division, the Seattle Seahawks, uh, after a thrilling Game 1 victory against the Denver Broncos, they have a not-so-thrilling Week 2 loss uh, this past week against the uh, against the 49ers. I don't know why I forgot that for a second. Um, where, you know, it sort of turned into what we expected the Seahawks to be, which was not very good. 
where are they actually? Are they as good as they were against the Broncos, where things were like flowing smoothly? It was the exact type of game that Pete Carroll wants in a relatively low-scoring, heavy run-the-football, control-the-time-o'clock, defense, defense, defense type of game. Or is it more like last week where the offense isn't able to do much and they kind of just sputter out very quickly? I think it's probably somewhere in between. And the interesting thing over the next couple of weeks is that they have winnable matchups. They go up against the Falcons, then the Lions, then the Saints. I think they 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 have a shot in at least two of these next three matchups. The Saints are a bit of a question mark, but I think they got a shot against the Falcons and the Lions. If they can come out of one of these games with a victory, then the Seahawks are able to show that, hey, we got a little something here. If they don't, then it might be time to start already thinking about who which quarterback you're drafting next year. So an interesting dilemma that the Seahawks have. Let's go over to the NFC North. There's a lot of teams in the league that have a one-and-one record, actually, now that I look at it. Both the AFC, not the AFC, sorry, the NFC West and the NFC North have every team with a victory and a loss. So let's start off with the top team in the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings. They have flipped from a team that was dominant against the Packers, and we thought, oh, here we go. Vikings about to take over this division to a team that struggled mightily against the Eagles, and now we're wondering who, which, where they are. Like most teams, I tend to think they're in the middle of their week, their week-to-week performances. Uh, I don't think they are as amazing as they were against the Packers, and I don't think they are as terrible as they were against the Eagles. I think they're somewhere in between there. And the question is, is that enough to win this division? Interesting to look at. I think uh, Kirk Cousins has to settle down a bit. Uh, there were, especially in the latter half of that Eagles game, I felt like there were a lot of opportunities where he was just forcing specific plays. Not necessarily forcing. I think he was predetermining where he was throwing the ball. And that made it really easy for the Eagles to get multiple pass deflections and interceptions, uh, just completely shutting down different players. If you know where the ball is going and you get an idea of what the route is, then you can literally jump in front of it as Darius Slay was doing multiple times. So Vikings are in an interesting predicament. Um, I do think that they're definitely not as bad as they were against Eagles. So can they leverage that going forward? Packers are in a similar situation if you flip the Vikings sort of schedule where the Vikings had the great week one and not great week two. Uh, The Packers had a not great week one and a great week two, though against divisional opponents. So that becomes an interesting thing to note. Uh, After a loss against the Vikings where everyone's wondering, oh, the Packers don't have it, they go and beat up on the Bears as usual and kind of resets it back to, oh, yeah, they they typically never do good week one. That's that's fine. Everyone remembers last year's rough matchup against the Saints only to proceed to go 13-4 and four and end up having Aaron Rodgers win the MVP and they make the playoffs as the one seed and everything like that. So, theoretically, the Packers are fine. I don't think that's too much of a concern. Um, if the wide receivers are able to build their rapport with uh, Aaron Rodgers, then it becomes no problem at all. And I think with time, that'll actually come to place. Not much really to discuss with the Packers. I think they're kind of just... We kind of know what they are at this point. It really becomes a question once the playoffs come around. But to suggest that the Packers won't make the playoffs seems rather ludicrous in the first couple of weeks of the season. Now, a team to suggest that they make the playoffs would sound ludicrous until you look at the game plan, the Detroit Lions. Honestly speaking, I think the Lions have probably been the most consistent team in the division, which is surprising because it's the Lions. And despite their one-on-one record and the fact that they're in the same boat as everybody else, I think the Lions have definitely shown the most, I think. Would that be safe to say? They've shown the most consistency. We'll go with that. At the very least, they've shown that. Uh, Week one, high offensive game by Jared Goff. Uh, in that game, the defense wasn't able to, to stop the Eagles from running over them, literally. Uh, week two against the Commanders, very different story. That might be one of the best games the Lions have had uh, 
in in the in the Dan Campbell era. I think it's up there with that Cardinals matchup uh, last year. The Lions completely figured out the Commanders, and then when the Commanders strike back, the Lions don't just give up; they strike back yet again. Offensively, they have been fantastic. I think, if I remember correctly, this is the first time the Lions have had back-to-back games of it's either 30 or 35 points. Back-to-back games, 30 or 35 points. First time that's happened since the championship 57-58 Lions, which is, you know, first off, that's like a 60-70 year time period. And two, it just goes to show that this offense is starting to really click. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in the past game, so he's good. And... That's kind of where they're, they're they're relying on here. The Lions are an offensive team and have that defensive superstar, at least in the making, uh, that can really make an impact on opposing teams. I don't know if the Lions can continue to do this. If they can, then the rest of the North better watch out because the Lions might sneak up on them. It's been very nice to see, uh, unlike last year and even week one to a certain extent, a lot of the Lions games were, uh, well, they lost, but they kind of put up a good fight. And the Commanders game shows, oh no, they won. And they put up a good fight, which is very important. Final team, the Chicago Bears. They're kind of in a weird situation. Week one, they beat the 49ers on a, a rain game, quite literally, uh, where the entire setting of the game and the style and everything kind of just went out the window once it started having giant water buckets from the cl- from the clouds just kind of dumping on the stadium. Uh, week two, more of what we expected the Bears to be, which is not very good against the Packers. And Fields is still running for his life for the most part. So things have kind of been the same as expected. The Bears, I don't think, have been suggested to do a lot of damage and will probably not. This is a growth year for Fields, and they have to give him some protection in order to grow. Uh, because otherwise, then the questions go around Fields. And while I don't think... I, I agree with... Uh, is, it, is it Mike Greenberg on ESPN? I think it's him. Uh, who says that uh, more often teams... Uh, how does he say it? It's um, he says something along. I can't. I can't find the exact quote. He says something along the lines of uh, teams more often destroy quarterbacks than create them, or something like that. Like more often is it's not the case that the quarterback is a bust. It's that the team doesn't provide them anything and they turn into a bust because of that. The Bears might be falling into that trap unless they can get him at, at least get field some protection to be able to make some impact going forward. Which is what the Bears. I think the season is kind of turning into. Can Fields be the franchise quarterback going forward? And if they don't give him the the test, if, if they don't teach... Let me rephrase this. If this is school and you try to ask a kid to take a test on a subject that he doesn't know and hasn't prepared for because you don't teach him that subject, then of course he's going to fail. And that's kind of what Fields is dealing with right here. Fields right now has the test in front of him and he hasn't learned because the Bears haven't really provided him with practice material with examples, with the lesson itself. And so the, they're kind of just like, all right, here you go. Good luck. And Fields is looking at this test like he's got no idea what to do and struggling to to go through anything because he hasn't learned this stuff because the Bears haven't provided him. This is a weird thing because it's suggesting that Fields isn't a good learner, which I don't think is the case. Uh, this is, they don't provide them the resources. Did that example make any sense? I don't know. Let's just move on. Final division, the NFC South. Let's start off with the top team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm confused by the Bucks. Does that make any sense? They're 2-0. They're winning their games, and the defense has been fantastic. And yet, for some reason, I don't like the team. Does that make sense? I don't. It's weird because everything is suggesting, hey, they're winning, but something about their offensive game plans and the style and the way that they're playing is rough, right? It doesn't feel as flowy, as good as in previous years, and I'm concerned about that going forward. Now, their defense has been 
at least points against wise, uh, the best in the NFC by a wide margin. Uh, they have allowed 13 points in their two matchups against the Cowboys and the Saints. Uh, I'm trying to look for the next best team right now, and and it looks like it's the 49ers who have allowed 26 points, at least in the NFC. Uh, the Bills have allowed 17, so it might be it's probably them uh, in reality. But yeah, even the Bills, the Bills, as dominant as they've been, have allowed 17 points. The Bucks have allowed 13. So they have been very dominant defensively. And if the if the Bucks are going to turn into a defensive team, that's fine. The offense has just been underwhelming for the most part. And then maybe that's just to me, and that's probably because Chris Godwin has been out, and then Mike Evans um, has been playing injured, and they've got to sign people off the street. They just signed Colt Beasley, for example, in the wide receiver room just to have people to throw to. Uh, so maybe it's just that. Early season Tampa Bay, early season Tom Brady. Maybe that's just the reason why they've been struggling for the most part offensively. But it's something to look at like, hmm, I don't know if I like this team trying to win on defense and defense alone. Now, it's worked in the past, but generally speaking, you want at least a decent offense. And I don't know if the the offense has been, they've been effective. I don't know if they've been good necessarily. Then again, maybe I'm just overreacting to the early parts of the season. New Orleans Saints, after a uh, week one victory, well, like a comeback victory effectively over the Falcons, they have a week two loss against the Buccaneers where Winston was just trying too much at the end. Um... It felt, at least when I was watching, that Winston was trying to win on the plays, and that as a result, it caused the interceptions, and then that just spirals downward. Um, this is going to be one of those games, uh, and I know there's a lot of conversations about, up oh, there, there he is, Jameis Winston with the three picks, and uh, yep, that's exactly what we expected. I think he, I think at a certain point in the game, it started to look like Winston was trying to win the game on the plays, if you know what I mean, um, rather than continue with the approach. And really when, uh, and I hate to bring this up because it is such a divisive, not a divisive topic, not a topic I want to discuss, but when the fight happened between the Bucks and the Saints, that kind of sparked the Bucks and then didn't spark the, stain, the Saints. Because um, the Saints defensively uh, have been very good. Most of the, uh, in that last game, one of seven of the points were allowed, technically speaking, were the Bucks on a pick six. So, um, you know, the, the defense has been very good over the past few weeks. It's just the offense... Uh, in the first week, had to really come back against the Falcons, and then this past week against the Bucks, just really kind of struggled. Um, we'll see going forward what exactly is the the case here and how they can gel a bit more. I think it might just be a timing thing. They just might need a little bit more time to to gel, and we'll find out how the Saints look going forward. But that's interesting to look at. Third place in the NFC South is the Carolina Panthers. Two close losses to the Cleveland Browns on a last minute field goal. And the New York Giants on a last minute first down, I think. Uh, they had a field goal with a couple of minutes remaining. Graham Gano hits a 50-plus yarder to take the lead and eventually secure the win for the Panthers. Um, despite the fact that the games have been relatively close, I don't think the Panthers have been relatively close. Does that make sense? The Browns kind of blew their lead a little bit uh, with a deep pass from Baker Mayfield to Robbie Anderson. Uh, and the Giants didn't score a lot offensively they're still trying to work things out i think they've been very good and especially compared to previous years and of course i'm a believer in daniel jones uh but the panthers haven't really done what i expected them to do i expected them to use christian mccaffrey a lot while he's healthy and able to be christian mccaffrey which he still can be the panthers haven't really done that and without mccaffrey i'm confused with what the strategy is going forward so the panthers are a real like hmm type of team because at least you know it's only been two games so they just had to kind of 
rough luck on the first two games. But going forward, they've got some interesting opponents. The Saints, Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, Bucks are the next five games for the Panthers. You can make a realistic argument to go 0-5, and, and at that point are 0-7 and really trying to figure things out. Uh, there's been already discussions about Baker being benched for Sam Darnold when he's healthy, which is surprising to me because it's been two games, um, but also because those two games have been you know, offensively. Uh, but if they, yeah, if they start off the season like 0-7, they might end up cleaning house, right? And that, that would be really shocking um, for a team that had decent hopes when Mayfield was uh, acquired to end up cleaning house and having an 0-7 record would be, would be rough. Even if they were, they were expected, I think, to be not great. But the way that they've been not great wasn't how we expected, if that makes any sense. And so the Panthers are kind of shocking there. The final team in the NFC, the final team in the league, and the final team needing to be discussed is the Atlanta Falcons, who I think have rightfully taken their place as this year's version of the Detroit Lions, of a team that you have to watch the entirety of the game. Uh... First off, Drake London looks like he's going to be a star wide receiver, at least in the first couple of games. He's been very impactful. Um, and just watch the games in general, how the Falcons have played these games. In week one, they uh, get to a lead and then end up uh, blowing that to the Saints. So that's a team that you got to watch for because they blew the lead. And then in the Rams game, they almost do the opposite and come back from a big deficit. Uh, of course, the 28-3 that the Falcons have so uh, wonderfully enjoyed over the past half decade plus. Um, the Falcons almost come back from that, a la Detroit last year, where they would be competitive in every single game. I think the Falcons are probably going to be similar to Detroit last year, where every game is interesting, every game is better than uh, you would expect, but not every game ends up in a win for Atlanta. And so if Atlanta can stay competitive, that's the important thing. Uh, it's a question as to whether or not Desmond Ritter, right, I think is the, the backup, uh, if he's going to be the franchise quarterback going forward. If they start having this sort of like competitive but not there yet attitude, um, unlike the Lions last year who rode with Jared Goff because A, he was the real option that he got, and B, I think Goff uh, is better than Mariota. Uh, unlike that, Falcons have Mariota and the backup guy already drafted. Unlike the Lions, they didn't have the backup guy if at all, in existence, right? So there. If, if it starts continuing like this, I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons turn to Ritter and say, all right, it's your time now. Let's go. That's an overview of every single team in the NFL. Week two has been completed. Consider this your week one and your week two review. Next week, we go through week three. Maybe there's an ep another episode in between. Not 100% sure yet, but if there is, you'll know by subscribing slash following, however that works on your specific podcast platform. Be sure to share it with everybody that you know. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for supporting in any way, shape, or form that you do. Welcome to Adore and Talk Sports, and until next time, take care.